Would you open God's precious holy word to Philippians chapter 2? Thank you, choir, for the musical that has brought us the first part of our service. And I know that uh, from having been a choir director in times past, you were invited to join the choir when they come back together again after this. Uh, and a lot of you sitting out there that used to be in the choir. Shame. What, what kind of grinch are you? Huh? Christmas from heaven's point of view. Condescension to incarnation. I want to say five things quickly about verses 5 through 11. In Philippians chapter 2, in the, in the time-space continuum, in the created order, with dimensions of space and time, created by God the Son, according to our scriptures, The wholeness, the infinity of God cannot be seen unless God reveals himself in his creation. He's too much. He's too great. He's God. He belongs to all dimensions. We don't know how many there are. Maybe an infinite number. He's God. He has no beginning, no end. But for... For his pleasure, God Almighty determined to create for himself a creation for his glory. From that creation, God would choose for his own those who would give him honor and power and glory and esteem and worship forever. It's in the nature of those who belong to God. God determined this, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. Names written in the book of life. That means before there was a blueprint, there was in the heart of God his own whom he would call to himself in the course of time, which he would create. And those to whom he would call to himself would be the ones who would worship him and he would inhabit their worship. He would be there with them always. So how then is God going to fellowship with them? He's going to have to become a part of what he had created. Time and space. In the creation, then there came the fall of man. And mankind fell in sin and now would inherit a sinful nature 
because of the sin of Adam and the fall of Adam and Eve, but the fall of Adam. This brought physical death. It brought necessary separation from the creator. But God will not leave it there because in the forever, God determined for his will and his good pleasure, he would be worshiped. And in his creation, he would be honored and glorified. And nothing's going to stop that. Thus, the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. And the Son would come and redeem his own. Pay the price that those who belong to God would be redeemed from their sinful nature. They would be redeemed and given a new life. And in that, within that eternal covenant that the Bible broadly describes, the perfect son of God born of a virgin would at last take upon himself the sinful, the sins of his own, the guilt of his own. And his righteousness would cover them. Now this would require then that the God who would manifest himself in his creation as we could see him because he's too much. We could never see all of, all of God. It's, it's impossible. But God would reveal himself in the fullness of the way and make manifest himself in the way that we can be with him and he can be with us. Thus God the Son became a man. And this is what the Christmas story is about. From heaven, from earth's point of view, it's a, it's a virgin on a donkey being led to Bethlehem and she and Joseph registering for the Roman taxes and being subject to the law of Judaism because he was born under the law and he would be circumcised the eighth day. But it was the story in Bethlehem of a manger and animals around the manger and a story of shepherds watching over their flocks by night and a story of a star that would point to the presence of the king of Israel and a story of the Magohi, the the, the wise men who when they saw that star would begin a long and arduous journey east of Bethlehem and it would take them a long time to make that journey as a matter of fact they showed up about two years after Jesus was born but from our point of view here that's what we see at Christmas time, 
But what about heaven's point of view? Paul, the inspired apostle, gives to us that point of view as he is inspired to give to us the account of condescension and incarnation. The condescension and the incarnation of God the Son. Now before he condescended, before he became a man, he was yet still in that time the visible God to his creatures. Of course, the angels. It is my belief that every appearance of God the Son invoked an angelic worship unlike anything we could comprehend presently. I'm sure that torches would flare and trumpets would blare, six-winged angels would collapse to their faces and with two of their wings cover their faces and two of their wings cover their feet and two of their wings standing out ready to do whatever he commanded. What a sight. On his throne, surrounded by an emerald rainbow that was circular because the word says so in the Greek text, surrounded by it. Magnificently arrayed as one who shines brighter than the sun itself. Before his presence, a magnificent crystal sea. Out from his throne, liquid diamond crystal water that splashed and cascaded down all the way to where it formed the river of life and then made its tributaries outside the gates according to the language of the scriptures. But we studied not long as it last time, in the course of time, the time had come when God would become a man. Number one, gracious condescension. Let this mindset, fronete, this, uh, this, this set understanding, let this mindset be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who already existing in the essence of God. Now, the, the Greek word is morphe, but morphe is a, is a word, when it speaks of the form of something, it's talking about the essential nature of that of which it speaks. In this case, God the Son already, for always, it's in the aorist, that means that's it, man already existing in the essential nature of God. He's God. Couldn't be taken away. It's always his nature. That's who he is. Who already existing 
in the essential nature of God, the essence of God, did not consider being equal with God something to be desirously seized. Something to be, maybe your version says grasped. This is a good word. It's uh, up here, harpegamoi, harpegmoi, mon, in, in, this, in this case it's mon. Harpegmon. Harpazo is, is a root of these words. And the word rapture is a form of that word. But the, it, what it means is this. It did not consider being equal with God something to be desirously seized. Something to be forcefully snatched away. You know why it says... He didn't consider this equality with God something that would be desirously snatched away or whatever because he didn't have to. He was already God. Now, the term in a negative sense could be applied to Lucifer. Isaiah, remember? Lucifer said, I'll be like God. And the brief story that's given in those verses in Isaiah speak of a, of a fallen angel, perfect in his wisdom and his beauty, the anointed cherub, Ezekiel 28, who, who had this magnificent appearance. And he decided that he, through his desires, would seize the position of God. Christ Jesus, the, the God, the Son, that's impossible for him. He is God. So he did not consider being equal with God something to be desirously seized. Whatever the will of the Father was, he knew it was the right thing. And if it required something, he would do it knowing that his essential nature was always God. Now this is before he becomes a man. Did not consider being equal with God something to be desirously seized, which is proof that he was God. He, he, was, he was already God. He always is God. It's his essential nature. He cannot be separated from the essential nature. Now, there are attributes that he can willingly lay aside, but he can never cease being God because God is God. And so he didn't, he didn't have to desirously seize it when he would come back because it was always him. Unlike Lucifer, for example, determined incarnation, but emptied himself. At Kennison, he, he, it, it was all gone. He poured it out. He emptied himself, laid it over, took everything there. Now, what was emptied? If he is still the essential nature, if his essential nature is still God, if he is still the essence of God, how did he empty himself? The Bible is clear when you put it all together in, across the New Testament, but I'll just summarize. For one thing, he laid aside his glory. There was a glory peculiarly his in the time and space continuum that is a glory that is beyond any glory imaginable. It is the glory that is restored to him according to his prayer in John 17. Father, 
Give me back the glory that was mine before the world ever was. So you see, in Acts 1, in his ascension, he is high and lifted up. It means that it means that he is having his glory restored. And they looked at it like a, you know, they were just dumbfounded, gazing into the sky. And they saw something that most of them had ever seen, except for three who, was, who were with him on the Transfiguration Mountain. Nobody else had seen it. They saw his glory. God, the glory of God the Son. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his honor. He was mistreated. He was terribly mistreated. He was so mistreated that it's unthinkable and unimaginable the things that he endured and suffered when he came. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his honor. He laid aside his authority. He had the authority to do whatever he chose to do, but he laid it aside and did not fall back on that authority because he emptied himself of it. He laid it all aside. When he became a man, he laid all of that aside. He, he, he emptied himself of his omniscience. When he said, the son of man, I don't know when, but the father in heaven, he, he was right. He laid that aside. That part of his omniscience, it was laid aside when he became a man. Determined incarnation. He emptied himself and laid all of this, these attributes of the essence of his nature aside he did it voluntarily, having taken the form of a slave. Now, the word, the word dulu is from dulos. It's a slave. It's, it's, there's, it's servant is really a bad, a, even bond servant. There's no word in the Greek for bond servant. It's a slave. Now, why does it say he took the form of a slave? Why? Let me tell you what a slave does. A slave is owned by another and must do the will of that one. And in doing the will, he serves others and not himself. That's a slave. That's what he came to do. He emptied himself of all of the essence of his nature. Except according when he, when he was in the will of the Father. Remember, we used to talk about this. In the will of the Father, he would perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. The will of the Father, executed by the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was the work of the Godhead. It was the ministry of Christ. The revelation of the Christ as a, as a man. He was fully God and fully man. The essence of his nature never changed. And everything about him when he was on earth like this, everything about him was a man. He emerged in the likeness of men. 
homoeomate, the likeness. It means the same. He emerged, he became, he emerged. Now, having, having been made, I, I translated having emerged, gnominus means he became. Understand this. Now, I understand that he's born of a virgin and conceived of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, that, you know, his, his flesh body uh, is, is part of, of, a, of, a, of the formation of a, of a human being. But God the Son was never created. That's what that means. Having been made, as a matter of fact, it's interesting. In the Greek text, it is in the aorist middle voice. Middle voice, that's important. Here's why. In the middle voice, in the Greek text means that the subject initiates the action and participates in the results. Nobody else but God initiated the action. So it's God, you understand. He emerged, God the Son emerged in the likeness of men. This is his divine, his beautiful, his wonderful, his determined incarnation. Number three, purposeful humiliation. Having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to be made humble. Uh, that means to be made low, to make yourself lower than everybody else. And when it says uh, in appearance, schemati, it's not morphe anymore, it's a different word. He's schemati, found in appearance as a man. Here's what schemati is, schematic. That means that if you took Jesus of Nazareth, well, I'll put it this way. That means that if the Virgin Mary had a sonogram, you would see the baby. His little heart would be beating. He'd be jerking around, whatever they do in there. If you took him to the pediatrician as an eight-year-old boy and they took an x-ray, he'd have bones and they'd see, they'd see organs in his body. He was, everything about him as Jesus of Nazareth, as God the Son came to offer himself for our redemption, everything he identified completely with us. I can tell you, though it's not described like this in the scriptures, it's my full belief that when that soldier took that spear and stuck it in his side as he hung on the cross, I'm pretty sure part of his guts fell out. Because that's what happens. The pressure of the water the size of the incision and what's right in there, intestines, it just hung out. I'm pretty sure, the Bible doesn't say that, but I'm pretty sure that's what would have happened because in every whit like that, he was in the appearance of a man. He had the essential nature of God. The only one in all of mankind. There's no other way we could have been redeemed. There's no other savior. Who could come from heaven, accommodate himself to flesh, be born of a virgin thus perfectly and uniquely qualified 
to be offered as a sacrifice for others. Who else? Nobody else. Only Jesus, heaven's view of Christmas, found an appearance as a man, everything about him. He humbled himself. He made himself lower than everybody around him. Number four, kinsman redemption. Having become obedient even to death, even the death of the cross. Within the era, within the context of the era, I would say probably against all time anyway, there was no worse death, there was no worse penalty punishment than crucifixion. Roman crucifixion on the cross. Thus, he didn't make a case for himself in front of Pontius Pilate who invited him to. He wouldn't do it. He voluntarily allowed himself to be numbered with criminals worthy of punishment. And he took that place for those who are his own that he might redeem us from the fallen state in which we found ourselves because of Adam. But redemption would not be overlooked and we, we could not otherwise be allowed to go on as God's own people without a redeemer. And without redemption. He, he humbled himself to the lowest position possible. He took the shame upon himself. Was dragged to the cross. Horribly, terribly mistreated and mocked. They spat on him and pulled out his beard pressed a crown of thorns into his head, yet he was obedient to it. Even the death of the cross because he came for his own as our kinsman redeemer. There is no other. There is no other. Only Christ, the virgin born child of the manger, who became our atonement on the cross. Finally, glorious exaltation. Therefore also God highly exalted him, granted to him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Dios, therefore, it connects to what was just previously said. Here was what was on his mind. The one who made everything stepped out of his position of glory and honor and power and laid it all aside, emptied himself of it, voluntarily became in the form of a man, a man. In every way, with his eye on the cross and the redemption 
of his own that the Father had given to him. Remember John 6, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will never cast them out. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I will not lose a single one of them. Absolute, exact atonement for his own. Now, this one who stepped down and laid all of that glory aside and did all that he did as a man and suffered and thus redeemed his own would be gloriously resurrected and in the ascension begin to have bestowed upon him once again this glory, this honor, this power and God highly exalted him in all of the time and space continuum. The one who made everything died for his own, has ascended back and has resumed his great position of power and honor and glory. He's also our judge, the Bible says. The Father has committed to him all judging. He is the one enthroned at the great white throne. At the end of it all, the name. What does that mean? Lord. I don't know. Lord. Granted to him the name above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow to this, in the heavens. Did you know, it, it's in the plural there, not only all of those who are in heaven, but those who are in the heavens, I, I keep watching this telescope thing, what's Webb telescope, this new one. I just, I just sit there like, I don't know, like a deer in headlights. I said, man, look at that stuff. Stuff nobody's ever seen. But you know what the Bible says in the Revelation? Everything, everything in God's order has an overseer, an angelic overseer. We see that in the book of Job in the Psalms. And so when I look at all, I thought, man, they think they're seeing stuff they've never seen, but those, those ain't, some angel is in charge of that thing out there. You know, there's an angel of the sun, and in the Revelation, he will turn down the light of the sun whenever he's commanded to in the heavens. Not just the departed saints, but all of the cognizant, rational creation of God, wherever they are, at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. And on earth, it'll happen. Every knee shall bow. And under the earth, everybody in hell, gonna bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is what God the Father said. It was by his pleasure and will that he would create a creation, call to himself his own people, and that forever they would glorify him. And this is accomplished even through the fall of man and the sinful state. Yet we are redeemed by our Savior, God the Son, born in that manger. And he would be Lord of all in the time-space continuum, even in the new heaven and the new earth, always and forever. 
because he is our appearance and manifestation of God. We won't ever see all. I think we will spend billions of centuries learning more and more about, but how can you ever exhaust the knowledge of something that is infinite? You can't ever exhaust it. I'm looking forward to it, but you can never exhaust it. I've listened to these guys talking about that telescope. They keep thinking, well, is there an edge to this thing? You know, you say, well, I don't know. Only God is infinite, so there's bound to be an end somewhere. But then they say, well, you know what? What if we get to a portal out there and then there's a whole other universe out there? Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It's to the glory of God, whatever it is. And he did all of his work on planet Earth. Why? For his glory. For his glory. For his pleasure. For his will. He chose to do it. It pleased him to do it. And in order for the glory of God the Father to finally manifest itself into the ages of the ages, there had to be a redeemer to redeem his own. This is the, this is the glory. This is, this is heaven's view of Christmas. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Oh, listen, Jesus Christ is the son of God and he came into this world to save sinners. Maybe you came here today without Christ. It is my fervent prayer that you will not leave that way. As you exit this room, we have deacons and their wives in rooms just across the hall ready to pray with you and speak to you about salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd like to come as a Christian and be a part of Shiloh. They're prepared to talk with you and pray with you about that as well. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Remember, we'll have a, we will have an evening service tonight, but it will be our last evening service, both Sunday and Wednesday of the year. Okay, so keep that in mind. Prayerfully now, would you stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.